The next chapter with Prim Sripapad is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody, it's Prim. Welcome to the next chapter presented by Baron Davis and Slick Studios. This week's guest is former Duke and NBA player Gerald Henderson Jr. Yes, a fellow Blue Devil once again. As a child, Gerald was a multi-sport athlete, and by the time he was in high school, he had become a McDonald's All-American in basketball, a scratch golfer by 13 or 14 years old, and also as a track and field athlete, he was a two-time league champion in the high jump and triple jump. None of this is really surprising considering his father, Gerald Henderson Sr., was a phenomenal basketball player himself as a three-time NBA champion. Now, after high school, Gerald attended Duke University on a full ride where he'd play for three years before he left for the pros. He was drafted 12th overall by the then Charlotte Bobcats and had a pretty long career considering just how many injuries he endured over the course of his eight-year NBA career. But after six surgeries, including a few hip operations and a torn Achilles towards the end, Gerald, understandably, decided to hang it up and move on to the next chapter of his life. And since retiring, he's done a lot. He returned to Duke to complete his undergraduate studies, earning a degree in psychology and a markets and management certificate. He also started his own real estate company with his wife, Nilu, called Henderson Ventures, which he was really excited about. And he's also continued to do a lot of broadcasting work as a color commentator and basketball analyst for various networks, including ESPN, where he and I got to work together. We recorded this interview back in 2019, really only a few months after Gerald decided to retire from basketball. And I flew down to North Carolina to do this in person, which always makes for a better interview. And because our conversation went for so long, nearly two hours, we decided to split this up into two parts. And in this first part, we talk about how Gerald has been just adjusting to the retired athlete life and all the events that led up to his decision to finally walk away from basketball, including the day he just had, as he called it, a moment of clarity as he thought, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. So here we are in Charlotte, North Carolina, at a golf course talking about Gerald's golf game, since that seems to be a pretty significant part of this new chapter in his life. Already, we're like an hour into the conversation anyway. So, um, you know what? I, I I don't stay up late unless there's something I gotta watch on TV. Yeah, I don't have any desire to stay up late. Like I, I want to go to sleep. So I sometimes I'll be in bed by nine o'clock because the girls go to sleep. They're asleep by eight. Right. So, you know, once I take a shower, maybe like make sure I send all the emails and text messages back from yeah. the day. I'm in the bed. I don't care to stay up. So if I wake up at four or five o'clock, I've got seven hours. Well, there's a lot of people that might go to bed early, but they don't get up that early. I'm an early riser. I can't sleep for eight for nine hours straight. 
eight, nine hours of candy. Oh, for real? Candy. It's hard for me to get seven. Well, when you were playing, how did you? I could do a day. Oh yeah, I could take naps. Okay, so you're you're a solid napper. Yeah, I, I you're used like to a, take You're like naps. a seven month old baby. You like <laughs> you like your two. When naps. I was playing, when I was playing, like you jotted down as part of my day. I'm going to take a nap. How long do you take a nap for? I could take a nap. Now I can't take them as long, but I could take a two, three hour nap easily. I mean, that's like half. But you just can't go straight for seven, eight hours. Eight hours is tough. Wow. Eight hours is tough. But I can get to sleep. It's just like if, if I w- I'll wake up at like three, four o'clock and then I can't go back to sleep. Um, it was funny. I, I, I don't know how I knew. I mean, obviously, you and I are here in person and we're at the valentine golf club one of one of your spots it's, it's apparently the place to go here mm-hmm. in charlotte but i knew that you were going to show up in golf here and i was like <laughs> i don't know if i should come in a polo shirt polo shirt is not really my thing unless i'm playing <laughs> but you come up and you're like strutting the latest and greatest golf gear because you were already on the driving range at what seven i was i was on the driving range <laughs> at seven um I just love, I love to play. I mean, I'm done playing, so done playing basketball. Yeah. So, you know, I've played golf my whole life, so it's something that, you know, it's, it's not an easy game, but it comes easier for me because I've played it for so long. So, um, and I want to get better, so I just go practice. Play. Why is that the sport that, and I'm not trying to be sexist when I say this, but why is this the sport that men typically gravitate towards. And it's not just former athletes. It's just retired men or even working men in general. My dad, we used to, I was telling you, we, we used to be a tennis family. And for whatever reason, over the past like 10 years, as I started to you know finish up my career, he just started picking up golf. And now he is obsessed with it. Yeah. Like obsessed. He will be sitting there. And when I call him, he wants, he doesn't care about me. He just certainly doesn't want to ask about, <laughs> he'll ask about my son, Duke. And, so, well, um, how are you doing? Yeah, there's no, there's no, how are you doing? It's like, friend, I went to the, I went to the course today and he's like, my short game. Right. Good. Good. Like, what is it about golf? Well, as you know, as you get older and I'm, I'm 31, I'm, I wouldn't be considered old. No. But, um, you know, if you, you played sports your whole life, like I've been beaten up a lot by sports, like yeah. tons of surgeries, injuries. Golf's a sport. Uh, it's so much easier on your body. I mean, most golfers will tell you like their back hurts or something. But like other than that, like you're, you're pretty good. Like it's slower pace. Um, you can go out there with a group of four and um, still talk the same junk that you would on a basketball court or anywhere else. Um, you're outdoors. If, if you like being outdoors, like there's nothing better than a nice looking golf course to be out there for four hours or so to look at. Um, you know, there's a game in it that's just like it's fun. You know, if you're if you're a good golfer or a bad golfer, you can if you can go out there with other bad golfers and do handicaps and stuff. That's and true. Even the playing field, basketball, you can't even the playing field, right? <laughs> so no. Like, if somebody I'm watching get, a, pick, a pickup game between a bunch of retired guys. We're not talking. I'm not talking about like your type of level, but like I, I kind of find it's the fifty to forty to fifty year old men mm-hmm. who ended the career in high school, and then they played so hard 
and so competitive. <laughs> like they're the dudes that are like taking trying to take a guy's knee out. Right. <laughs> I mean, you, you got you got guys from that era where like <laughs> physicality was like like a whole nother level. So, or is know, it just because they have a chip on their shoulder? Is it really that? Probably, era? probably they can't perform like they did in the past. So, yeah. like their tempers or their you know competitiveness per se. Are you takes trying to over. be polite? Uh, I am. You are trying to be polite. Am, I'm gonna work. I'm gonna. Give it some time. So I do, TV, I do TV too, Prim. So I knowing the right things to say, uh, being politically correct or I something, I've, I've become used to. But I mean, we're not PC on this show. Okay, so oh, okay, it's just one of those shows. Oh, it is. Okay, oh, it is. Okay, be PC. Well, e- either way, like <laughs> when you're 40 or 50, you can't play basketball like you used to. It's just what it's going to be. I say you, you will not see me on a basketball court. When I'm 40, 50 years old, you'll see me on a golf course all day because you can it still brings this competitiveness out of at least me, like to a high level. And um, it's fun, you know, and it's I don't have to, uh, you know, worry about after the game, like icing down for like a whole hour. Like, <laughs> so, so nice. So yeah, like, like two hours. I mean, I'm just I'm, it's it's a way more fun, easy game to play. And um, I love it. You, you, we wouldn't see you on the basketball court because you got to play for so long mm-hmm. afterwards. It might have been, it might not have been as long as you wanted it, mm-hmm. but it was the better part of a decade. So sure. I mean, that's kind of why you're not going to be out on the basketball sure. court. I mean, basketball is a sport I still love to this day. If if physically I felt like I could continue to do it and wasn't risking my health. Um, I'd be out there for sure, but uh, that's just not how it worked out for me. And to say, uh, you know, I played uh, high school basketball, one of the best schools at Episcopal Academy in Philadelphia under a Hall of Fame coach, and Dan Doherty, and then was able to play under another Hall of Fame coach at a prestigious uh, basketball and just university like Duke University which you went to, too, mm-hmm. you know exactly what it's like. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in that kind of atmosphere, uh, in the bright lights, national TV games all the time, um, and then go to the NBA and play for eight years and for a few different teams, um, you know, I, uh, it's a blessing. You know, I can, you know, a lot of people aren't going to be able to do that in their lifetime. And so I just feel um, blessed to be able to do that for as long as I did. And uh, really, really enjoyed it. And um, thank God every day for it. But, you know, now it's at the point where that's no longer what I'm doing every day. And, uh, you know, you just move on to different things. It seems like you're in a good place. But I know from my own personal journey and also in a lot of my friends and colleagues being athletes, sometimes what's on the surface is not necessarily what's going on mm-hmm. deep inside, I also know from my own journey that on the surface, it you could also be moving along and preparing for the next chapter and well into the next career um, of your life, but some things are still not resolved. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you could still logistically make things work and take the turn, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that it's going to be emotionally easy. Sure. And you know, just several minutes ago, you said, you know, I'm retired from. Um, and when I was just perusing some of the articles and stuff out there 
I, I've only found like one article. I think it was with Close 360 mm-hmm. that did, did something on your retirement. Mm-hmm. Because you never really, I don't think, publicly came out and other, said it, right? Other than that, other than that, I just, you know, to me it was, um, you know, I had, I had spent two years rehabbing um, from hip surgery and from, from my third hip surgery and then spent another year uh, to this point, a little over a year now, uh, recovering from Achilles surgery. So, you know, not that I had been retired during that time because I was trying to come back and play. But uh, even before then, when I was getting tons of hip pain, I always saw retirement as a possibility. And though it's not what I wanted, you know, I'm 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 very faith based. So, like, to me, you know, my plan is never really um you know, it's, 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 not, it's a great plan. You can set goals for yourself and what you want to do. But God's plan is completely different to me. It's, and, you know, anybody that believes in God understands that. It's like, you know, you, you, you go with the flow. You know, you can have all the plans you want in the world, but uh, in the end of the day, it's already written down for what's going to happen. And um, you got to be okay with that. And so... You know, I didn't make a huge announcement about it. I, I did the, the thing with 360, and it turned out really well. But, um, you know, I, I'm never a huge guy. To, I would never want to bring a whole bunch of attention to myself anyways. Like, I'm just kind of, you know. Low-key. I'm, I'm very low-key. And you've been around me. I'm not, like, I'm not going to sit there and try to, you know, make this huge farewell farewell tour about my retirement. Like, yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure some would care, some wouldn't, you know, but, um, you know, it doesn't matter as much as to me. It's about what you're going to do going forward. And so, uh, you know, for me, I'm just moving on. It is interesting that I think for, for college athletes, you just retire and that's it. You don't really have to worry about a press conference. Mm-hmm. Um, but for a lot of other athletes like yourself and other who are on a much bigger platform, especially do basketball and then you want to, you know, play the professional level, then you, you're kind of forced with the decision of like, no, do I make this a public thing? Because if I don't, then you kind of have to explain bit by bit to every single Mm -hmm. person that comes your way. Or should I just rip off the bandaid? Kind of like what Andrew Luck did. I mean, he kind of had to because a lot of people were expecting him to continue playing. Right. But it's almost like, do I just rip off the bandaid? make the announcement and then people are just going to leave me alone. Right. Like, did you, right. did you think about that? Um, you know, I, I made the announcement just like on Instagram. Um, you know, I didn't do anything really else. So anybody who doesn't follow me on Instagram and pay attention wouldn't know that I'm retired. Mm-hmm. And so every day, I mean, people still ask me like, where are you playing now? Mm-hmm. You know, and not golf, <laughs> you know, they ask me <laughs> like, where are you hooping? I'm like, <laughs> Man, I just retired three, four months ago. I mean, it's, it's like, yeah, it's like, I'm here. This is where I, this is where I play. Yeah. But no, I mean, you know, it's something I got to answer twenty times a week. You know, because I'm. Does that get annoying? Um, or do you? It's you not as annoying it? because I know people wouldn't know otherwise. Yeah. You know, so, and it's you know it's flattering that somebody who's interested in, in what I'm doing now. So I don't take. You know, it's not annoying. I, you know, I'm happy to tell people what I'm what I'm up to, and um, you know, I'm sure after some time, 
Yeah, the, the, the more and more they see me out on the golf course <laughs> yeah. and not on TV, then, you know, they'll, they'll you know, understand what I'm doing now. Or you'll be on TV. Right. You just won't be right. on the court. There you go. So, so are you going to be doing stuff for, for Charlotte this year? Yeah, so I'm working for Fox Sports South, uh, Southeast and covering the Hornets games. I'll probably do uh, close to 70 games this year. I'll oh, do, wow. I'll do all the home games and a bunch of road games. And um, I'm looking forward to it. I really enjoyed it last year, my first year doing it, and learned learned a lot. It's TV's a lot, you know. It's not like you're, you're in the thick of it now, right? You, you're not yeah. on the other side where you can just answer questions and you know, like I'm doing now. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you Which do you have... prefer? Do you prefer calling the game and being the inter- interviewer, or do you want to be the interviewee? Well, being the interviewee is so much easier, yeah. right? But you know, with with being, you know, I do the pre and post game show, so there's there's some prep work you got to do for it. But I I like it because it's challenging, right? It's 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 puts you a little out of your comfort zone, especially for me. Last year, doing it as my first year, they threw me right into the fire, right? And you know, I had to learn along the way. You know, the microphone, the yeah. earpiece, talking in your ear, um, you know, learning when you mess up, like just keep going. You can't stop. It's live TV. All those things that you just kind of you just pick up on. You just learn. And it was a challenge for me, but I thought I did pretty good at it. I got some good compliments from people that watch. So um, I'm looking forward to doing it this year, too. That's exciting. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, you know. I, that's the whole reason why I got into sports broadcasting. And maybe that's just why it's an easy transition for athletes because I was, you know, once I retired from tennis after college, I was desperately looking for something that was going to replace that adrenaline rush Mm -hmm. of when you compete. Um, and I just thought, did you ever know Dr. Frank Bassett or did he pass before? Uh, Do you remember him? Did he have a dorm at Duke? Cause I, I stayed in Bassett dorm. I don't know if that's his dorm. I don't know that. But so Dr. Frank Bassett was uh, a renowned orthopedic surgeon at Duke. Um, and he eventually retired, but but taught a class, anatomy, the lower extremities. It was a BAA class. Um, and he might have passed uh, by the time you were there. But he, um, so I took his class and he loved athletes. Mm-hmm. So he was one of those professors I was like, you know, when you get to do it, I was like, oh, Dr. Bassett, he loves athletes, got to take that class. And I was like thinking for a minute about going pre-med and then I realized I wasn't smart enough. So I'm like, I'm not going to do that. But in his class, he would work on real cadavers. So it was like half of the leg and you would just like, you would actually work on cadavers. So I know one of your hits, now I'm totally going on a digression. (laughs) I'll get back on track. Um, But anyways, he was the one that was like, hey, you should think about getting into television but I, I figured that if I wasn't going to be an athlete and if I wasn't going to play games or matches anymore, at least I could be around athletes. Did you feel, does it feel like a seamless transition? Because you do kind of get thrown into the fire a little bit. Yeah. When we were at ESPN, you got thrown into the fire doing NBA Tonight too. I did. That was like one of my first TV things. I think that was your first night. That's when it we was. first really... I, I can't remember if we had met before. We obviously knew yes. of each other. Yes. But that was our first time really working, working together and yeah. spending time with each yeah. other um that was cool because that was now that was really thrown into the fire because i had, no, you had no idea. I, no and i 
as as we started this conversation that night, yeah, and you, one of your first questions was like, "What is this?" and I was talking right. about the rundown. Right. I immediately realized I was like, "Oh, yeah, he, he doesn't he didn't prep him." Right. So I was like, I, no. "That's happened to me me before." So I wanted to extend the courtesy of like, "Okay, let's let's you know, this is a bo, this is a stop." Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they really threw you into the fire. Yeah, no. I, and I liked it. Shoot, like you, you did know, great. You I, did amazing. Thank you. Um, and it was it was tough. You know, you gotta. You know, I, I really like watching other people, like watching what you do. Or we were working with Ant- Antonio Davis. I remember. Yeah, and that's um, right. you know, he was right. giving me pointers and stuff. But you know, really, what I've learned most is that you know, there's a lot. There's people watching and stuff, but the more simple that you keep it, if mm-hmm. you know. You don't have to hit people with a hundred stats at a time. You know, if you give them one stat and explain that one stat, how it has to do with the game or whoever you're covering, um, if you do that well and just keep it simple, that uh, you, you look the best doing doing it that way as opposed to, um, you know, trying to overshoot yourself. So, um, you know, but that was that was fun. That was my first little taste of it, and yeah. I liked it. So I had my agent reach out to see if I could do some more stuff. So that's how that Hornets thing came. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I rem- That was several years ago. It might have been 2015 or 2016. That was 2016. <clears throat> 2016. Yeah. And I remember what was great about you, and there's a few other athletes that come to mind, um, was that you're so, you were so unafraid to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were humble in that sense. Because there are some guys and gals that might come onto the set and think like, oh, I'm blank, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be fine. I'm not going to ask any questions. But you approached it as if it were a craft, and you wanted to work on it. Absolutely. And I appreciate that about you. Yeah. Um, you know, at that time, I was Gerald Henderson, who was like a really good basketball player at the time, right? I wasn't a really good color analyst. So, like, I can – humble myself in that way, knowing that, okay, why do you, would you think you'd be really good at this if you haven't put any time and effort into it? Just like anything else you would be good at, you have, you put time and effort into it. So, you know, and the way that you get better is by asking questions. Um, to me, you know, watching other people, paying attention to other people who are good at it and, um, you know, just taking it all in and then, then you see how good you are from there. You can't go in like, oh, I'm just nice out of nowhere. That doesn't, not many people in the world are like that. So TV will keep you real humble. Oh, yeah. The moment, moment you think you're doing well. It's right. so similar to it's sports. Just like any, yes. It's just like anything else. The rug else. is going to be pulled right on, from right underneath you. And it's like playing a game because, especially live TV, yeah. because, you know, you some somebody asks you a question you're not prepared for, or they come the camera comes back to you, and or you got 20 seconds to fill. Like, what are you going to say? <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I mean, you and it's harder for you because you're actually like shaping the show because yeah. you're the host. So you know, I got more respect for you than for me. I can I can tell you, yo, don't ask me this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know anything about this. So. Is there anything I'm not supposed to ask you today? No. Okay. I'm an open book today. Open book today. Right, right. Were you an open book a year ago? Uh, probably not. I mean, I'm I'm never a fully open book. You know, I there's there's things I'm just 
not going to talk about. Like what? But <laughs> that was a trap. That was a trap. Uh, no, I think so. <clears throat> I was thinking about our interactions over the years. So that was our first time working with each other. And then you had your charity golf event in Pennsylvania. That was in 2017. Mm-hmm. So this is, um, I definitely, I don't think you know the timeline in terms of like what I, what happened to me as well. So that next year, you asked me to emcee your mm-hmm. charity golf event in Pennsylvania, which was so much fun. That was in July. Little did you know that April of 2017 was your last NBA game. Mm-hmm. Did you know it was, you didn't know then, right? Because you had your Achilles, you hurt your Achilles after that. Well, well, I played my last game with Philly in April. And, um, you know, that whole season was really rough because I, I had my hip surgery. Um, no, let me start that over. I can't, I'm, I'm trying to remember. No, you had your hip surgery. So April 12th, if I'm getting the timeline right, mm-hmm. you had your last NBA game. Mm-hmm. You had all your hip issues. You, 2017. Yep. So that same month, we were both engaged at that time. When did you get engaged? Because you were, you were soon engaged. After, soon, no, no, soon after that. I okay. got engaged. Because by the time I saw you at your golf, the golf tournament, I was engaged. I had just gotten married. You had just gotten engaged. Mm-hmm. That April, you had your last NBA game. Mm-hmm. I had my last sports center. Mm-hmm. I got laid off from ESPN. Yeah. Um, and then we had your charity golf event in July, and then I did my whole tennis comeback thing. And then you, and I had hip surgery. Yeah, hip surgery. Yeah. A couple days after the yes, charity golf event, I did. It was all I knew beforehand that I was happening. So you had hip surgery at HSS in New York. Mm-hmm. I had shoulder surgery at HSS really? in New York in December. Yeah. Um, but I remember asking you, you had asked me to MC your golf event. I don't know if you remember this, but after I got laid off, mm-hmm. I reached out to you. I was like, hey, just want to let you know I got laid off at ESPN. Do you still want me to MC your event? <laughs> I remember that. Do you remember I remember that? that. I remember that. I remember looking at the text message like, oh, no. (laughs) Come on now. What kind of person do you think I am? You're like, I was like, yeah, no, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I didn't know that. So we're going to have to switch you out. What kind of person do you think I am? (laughs) I was laughing at that, but I was dissecting the timeline Mm -hmm. and there's so much crossover. Yeah. Like my broadcasting career was not necessarily coming to an end, but that was like a major chapter closing for one reason or another. And it was a chapter that I haven't really talked about publicly, but it was, um, I felt like I had set out a goal and I was eventually, and it was, I had achieved that goal of wanting to be at ESPN and I was looking for the next step, but mm-hmm. I didn't know how to close it. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, um, so the universe or, or God, whatever you believe in kind of made it for me. But then that's when your career also at that point yep. closed a bit too. Yep. Um, at that, at that time, you know, at the end of that season, um, I had a small inkling that, it could, that it could be over because even before then, you know, just dealing with the hip pain and knowing that, You know, I'm talking to all the doctors, all the right doctors. I'm talking to all the best PTs. And that's what you get when you're in the NBA. Like you're you're going to get all the right information. The team's going to make sure you're getting all the right information. 
and there's not great information. There's not great news for, for hips, um, for hip surgery. Like there's not great stories. Um, you know, the hip wears down and there's for, if you want to continue to play the sport, um, you're going to have to, without getting surgery, you're going to have to put yourself through a rigorous, um, physical therapy that you got to stay consistent with. You got to change some, um, biological things with your body in terms of how you move and stuff to take pressure mm. off of your hip joint, be using all your muscles, right? You have to become a, um, extremely efficient athlete. And so I spent tons of time doing that throughout the years, which really gave me a longer career than I should have. Um, because I was in a lot of pain with my hips. So after that, that whole season, you know, and I, I love Brett Brown to this day, um, Sixers head coach, because, um, I'm a guy, I was, I signed with the Sixers as a veteran leader and, um, you know, was put there for, you know, my basketball skills, but also to kind of show these guys, you know, who had to that point, you know, they're doing really well now, but to that point were, you know, a joke of the league. They were, weren't doing really well. didn't have a great culture. And um, he was trying to continue to build and grow the culture. So, you know, he, he saw me as a guy that was a good, good pro, professional, do things the right way, and was going to be able to show some of the younger players um, those attributes. So, um, you know, I thank him because I'm not a guy that likes to miss games. You know, I, throughout my whole career, I want to play. Um you know, it's my job. I've always had that kind of mindset. But yeah, I think the, I saw some crazy stat that even though, despite your six surgeries mm-hmm. since two thousand eight, you've only you've never missed more than ten games in four consecutive mm-hmm. seasons, or something yeah. like that. I, I love to play. You know, even through through pain, I just think that's part of the sport. Um, you know, you're gonna have, you're gonna have to play through some injuries. It's a physical sport, and then I get that a lot from Duke and. Um, do you get that from Duke, or do you think it started when you were young? Probably younger. I mean, my, my dad was is, is a tough cat. You know, he's he's um, always instilled toughness in me, giving me difficult challenges to do working out, or has always put me played me with older kids. So you know, he let me see some failure, let me get pushed around a bit, like to kind of instill that in me. Um, but yeah, I mean, then at Duke, I mean, that's kind of where you become a man there, like just with the kind of um, leadership that Coach K has and um, discipline and um, expectations that they have for you. So I mean, that's where you're forced to grow up. Yeah, you're forced to. is huge. Yeah. And co- I mean, and you probably saw it in tennis in college, like you know, the level of work and discipline you have that they expect every day is, um, you know, something that you start to expect and start to do. So, you know, all that and, you know, kind of all together brought me to a point with the Sixers where I was, you know, didn't want to miss games, but he actually forced me to miss games, you know, because he saw the kind of pain that I was playing in every day working with the PTs, like trying to get myself ready to play. Like I couldn't even 
go through a whole shoot around because in the morning time, like would be where it's just stiffest, my hip. And this is twenty the 2017, 18 season. This is uh, 2016, 17. So I was just, so I couldn't even get through a full shoot around. Like, so, you know, he would see that and I, I ended up playing a bunch of games, but you know, he, he forced me to sit out. Um, because also he wanted some of the young guys to play. We weren't going to make the playoffs, but he wanted them to get some experience. But then, um, you know, also just kind of saying like, look, you've done your job this year. Like, um, just sit down for a second, (laughs) you know? So you're that athlete where you were going to keep going until somebody told you to stop. Oh yeah. And then a lot of those, those athletes are the type that have, it's almost a pain tolerance to fault. Right. I think to be an elite athlete, you have to have a high pain tolerance. Oh, yeah. Not necessarily like having to push through injury pain, but you have to be comfortable with discomfort, especially right. when you're doing conditioning and endurance and discomfort with nerves and everything. Yep. Um, but at what point did you realize, okay, this could be the end? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I suppose it was a number of instances with you because you you've been battling injuries for sure. so long. Um, you know, I had a teammate, uh, Tiago Splitter, who played with us like maybe the last fourth of the season, and uh, he had a resurfacing procedure done um, where it's not a hip replacement, but he was getting the same pain that I was getting, and um, he got a it's like a metal implant you get put um, on top of your femur. And then on top of your hip side, they give you like a little um, coat of metal. And do you so, replace the, the ball of the... Yep, the ball's cut off. Okay. And now they put a, basically a cap with a yep. stick into your femur. So they don't put replace it with a ball? So how does it maneuver? So basically, it's like, imagine like a little pea metal piece oh, like okay. this. That's, that this stick is into your femur. Okay. So that now it just sits in there just like that. Okay. And then on your hip side, right, they have some metal. So now these just kind of flow around just Got like it. that. Okay. Um, and Andy Murray had that same surgery. I believe right? he had it too. Um, we had the same doctor. Oh. Dr. Okay. Edwin Sue at Hospital Special, Special Surgery. He actually tried to connect us. We never got connected, but, um, you know, we. Uh, I saw Tiago Splitter had the procedure done and I'm looking at him for like two months. I'm like, yo, that's going to be me in a year. I was like, I was yeah. like, that is the only way. Cause I knew I was like, I can't, I'd rather I'd quit before I play another season in this kind of pain, taking Advil, like, you know, Ivy pro 800 milligram, Ivy pro. Like, like Advil, Advil. Well, you're taking Advil. Advil's not going to do anything. Well, yeah. You gotta be taking one of those monster. I mean, but you take, if you take four of them, it's 800 <laughs> milligrams. Right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, you know, I just, I'm like, I, 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 I'd quit before I do this like again. But, um, so then very much season went by and met with some more doctors and, you know, the prognosis was that, look, if you want to continue to play, um, or play out of pain, then you're going to have to get this um, resurfacing procedure. And I was like, I, I could have told you that six months ago. I know. But, Is that um, funny when uh, I feel like most athletes, 90% of athletes know when they need surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember going to the doctor. That was after your charity event. I think I came back to New York and it was in, in September. And I could tell my shoulder 
And I had already had three surgeries. I was in college so long time ago, 15 years ago. But I was like, I'm, I'm going to have to have surgery. Mm-hmm. I did something to it. But doctors have to go through the process of the checkup and give it two mm-hmm. weeks and go to physical therapy and do the whole five to six week sure. physical therapy. Because they don't know how you feel. No, but I was like, come on. But Dr. Dines at HSS did Andy Murray and Marty Fish and Isner and a ton of, like his dad works with the Giants. I was like, you all know I need surgery. Like, let's just, you know, <laughs> gave me a couple cortisone shots. And then later I found out that my PT who works with Endomikonsu and is also the uh, uh, trainer for the Canadian basketball team. So he knows. Right. He's like, oh, yeah, I knew you. I knew you tore your shoulder. Right, right, like, right. Why didn't you say something? He's like, well. <laughs> upset you i'm like we all knew she might have yeah. just done it earlier yeah. um but hey i want to i want to see if you can take some photos of us i you know what i was just thinking that yeah. but i didn't want to interrupt the conversation yeah, no. <laughs> Sorry. i'm so glad you did yeah. yeah or you can take it justin and um, yeah, let's do it if it closes on you man the uh code is four three two two one two Oh my God! Did you just say that on air? <laughs> I'll, I'll change, change it. it. I change it like every couple of weeks. Holy yeah. cow! Right. <laughs> <laughs> you are an open bar. Yeah, you I'm gonna bleep to that out. Yeah. Drop it or just snack a couple and give your phone back. Um. Yeah. Just just take, take some. Just take a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking, take yeah. a bunch like close up. You so know, you can, you're editing that out, right? Of no, course we are. Like yeah. Until it until it airs in January. Um, so yeah as we're taking photos um, but you were you said I'm going to quit before I had that surgery again but you ended up having a surgery well I said I'm going to quit before oh you played through that pain right right it was over I said I'm just no way so I had the surgery and immediately felt better you know you get a this, this surgery is pretty involved. Like, I have a, a gash on my buttocks, like, this long. Like, it's it's a pretty intense surgery. So you got to heal from the scar. But right away, they want you to start walking on it. You have fixed parts in there. So, um, you know, I came back. I started working out. You know, I felt completely normal. I was out of pain. I felt stronger than I had in years really right? jumping running jumping after you know six eight months or so and at what point is this when when did you start feeling better than ever so um, six to eight months after surgery how long so really it was it was probably um less than a year less than a year because then i was really like actually playing and you know repeat after a few months like playing 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 i really got like my bounce back my lateral movement like my recovery, all that stuff had gotten so much better. And, um, you know, I had a few workouts. I started, I was working out with the Raptors for a week out in LA. I went with the Spurs for a week, which went really well. And then, um, I went out to Golden State for, uh, probably about a week. I was there. I was only there for three days. I was supposed to be there a week or so. And when was this? This was, this was, uh, probably the, uh, Mid September, mid to it was it was so two it was weeks before over, training camp. Okay, September twenty eighteen. Yep. So it was a little over a year after your hip surgery mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. And I remember you said in that article that you had even skipped your honeymoon. Yes. Because you were 
around the clock training. Yep. And at that point, you thought you were good to go. Yeah, I mean, we, we didn't plan it because around that time, I knew I'd have to work out for some teams or I would have to be preparing to work out. So I, I, like, I can't go to Honolulu, sweetie. <laughs> 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 you could have gone to some place like in the Caribbean, so it would be closer. Right, but at the same time, I gotta. I don't know what gyms are there. I need. I got all my trainers here. Like, you know, this is one time in life that we'd be able to do this. You know, I understand like a honeymoon is like kind of a one-time thing, but you can always do a honeymoon. I you can, uh, you can I have that mindset. But right. shout out to your wife. Yeah, yeah, she was a soldier for that one. Um, which we did end up going on a honeymoon a year later. But um, you know, we. Um, we didn't do that, and I stayed, and I worked out, and I trained, and it was it was good. And then I went to Golden State, and I was like my third day third day there, and just a routine play. I was at the top of the key, going to make a cut down the middle of the lane, and just took a step, and it just like everyone describes it, you feel like somebody like either kicked you or like jumped on your back or whatever, and um, you know you feel like a little bit of pain, but I didn't really feel it until, you know, I kind of looked back to see who was there. Nobody was there except the other goal. And then I looked down and like, I could feel pain. And, uh, you know, my foot was there. Usually when anything happens to your foot as a basketball player, you feel like you rolled your ankle. Like that's always been my experience. And then I tried to move and I couldn't move it at all. And I, I knew immediately. Which side is was. Left foot. Left foot. Yep. Right there. It's actually a pretty good scar. Like a lot of guys, it's a little ashy mm-hmm. right now. A lot of guys get scars from here. Like that's kind of like the yeah, old school. I was even say, that's actually quite even short within almost. a couple years. Like like my buddy just got his done a year ago, and his scar is this big. Different doctors do it differently, but it's popped right in half. So you felt that you could, you heard the snap, but you almost didn't. Well, it was it was almost like um, it was almost like. My foot came unbuckled. Like, that's kind of really how it felt. It was just like a... Was there a lot of... There wasn't a ton of pain because I feel like the body is also protective in that sense where your body will go into shock yeah. for, for, for for the purposes of protecting you from that pain. But then as time will settle in, then you will probably begin to feel the pain. Oh, yeah. I, I felt pain, but it was more like... Uh, it was more like emotional pain. Like... Because the second it happened, because I was just talking to my dad the night before about like, you know, possibilities of where I was going to play and like was really happy. It was like crazy. Um, And, you know, then when it happened, because when I got the hip surgery, I said, yo, okay, this is going to be my last go around. Like, I'm going to try this one more time. And so when it happened and I actually realized what had happened, first thing that came out of my mouth, I was like, oh, it's a wrap. (laughs) It's a wrap. I knew it right away. Did you say that out loud? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How, like, how long after the injury happened did you say that out loud? Was it within minutes, or are you talking like... Oh, this is within seconds. Are you serious? Oh, on the ground, you know, because your tendon's not there. Your your tendon connects your calf to your... all everything in your foot. So, like, when I... I couldn't move it, right? And I've heard... Obviously, I've heard all the Achilles surgeries with playing basketball. But I couldn't move it. So, like, immediately, like, you just kind of turn over. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I was like, it's a wrap. It's a wrap. You know, and then this is the, before the trainers got there, you know. 
Because I was just like, you just know it. Like, I'm just not, I'm falling apart, like, clearly. <laughs> yeah, you literally, like, fell apart right. that day. I mean, your right. body, ha- over time, has been falling apart. But I think that coming into today, I would have thought that your process towards retirement would have been a gradual one. Mm-hmm. And, a, and you were prepared for it. Because when you have that many surgeries and injuries over time... Mm-hmm. You're just, you're, you've been doing it for like seven, eight years, so you're right. 10 years. So you're like, okay, the, the, the end is eventually coming mm-hmm. and you're just kind of on your seventh life. Right. But in, it's weird to hear how sudden it happened, especially with the conversation that you had with your dad the night before. Yeah. So in some ways it was extremely unexpected. Yeah, it was, it was unexpected because of the way that I felt. Right. And, um, you know, it's just like, you just never know what mechanically is going wrong with your body. Like I had the the day before that I had a workout that I hadn't played basketball like that in years. Like I was flying all over the place. I was in great shape. I was, <laughs> I made like 10 threes in like our pickup games. Like I just, you know, I, I was playing unbelievable. We had started to do like contra- small contract talks. Like, oh my gosh. and so, you know, but then, you know, the very next day that happened. So it's like, um, you know, it's, you never know, but that just goes in, in my head, just like it's, it goes to show you like my, all these plans that I had set as much as I saw things a certain way, like it just wasn't written like that. But after I did, well, listen to this. So after I got the surgery or after I um, did the injury, you know, you get the MRI or whatever. And then I got a plane back to Charlotte immediately because I was all the way on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Like, I just wanted to be around my family and just like, you know, I didn't feel I, didn't, I wasn't in a great place. So I get on a plane like maybe five, six hours later. Right. Fall asleep. Right. I got my foot just sitting there dangling wake up in Charlotte and then I couldn't see the doctor for a couple of days because it was the weekend. I see, um, doctor, I think it was Dr. Nunley at Duke. Um, and, uh, he says, so what's happened here between your surgery or between your injury and now, like, what have you been doing? Like, I'm like, absolutely nothing. He's like, how did you get back here? I'm like, uh, I took a plane. He's like, okay. He's like, I want to let you know, man, that you're lucky to be alive right now. And I'm like, why? He's like, well, he's like one out of three people that get this injury within a couple of days, if they get blood clots in there, in, the, in their foot, right? And so he's like, it's, it's almost a miracle that a couple hours after you had the surgery that you flew from California to Charlotte and you fell asleep. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, my gosh. He's like, because your blood gets thin as you get in altitude. It gets thinner. 33% of people. Right. He's like, 30, right. It's like 30 people. Like, it just happens because they don't either keep it up or whatever reasons. He's like, for you to have gotten on the plane, it's like you're, you're kind of crazy for that. But oh you're my lucky. Gosh. And I was like, I, I fell asleep. Like, I, I didn't. I just wanted to get home. But yeah, it's kind of crazy. So, did, but, that, did that help? What was the toughest? And I want to dive into this because I think it's so important this topic for the purpose of helping and healing other athletes that go through this. There's a ton of athletes 
um, that may obviously didn't play the level that you did, mm-hmm. but it happens to them in college. It happens to them before they get drafted. It happens to them in high school. Um, and when it's so sudden, it's, I think it's, it's more difficult to deal with because you're not prepared for it and you just mm-hmm. didn't see the moment coming. So when you're going through all of this, what was the, your rock bottom in coming to, the, to grips of what this injury was and what that meant for your career? Do you um, remember a rock bottom? Well, even still, even after I had the surgery and was making the recovery, which that Achilles surgery is tough because you got to do the boot and the scooter and the crutches and all that stuff. But, you know, I've had three hip surgeries, so I'm used to the process of yeah. therapy. And, um, but I'd say, you know, I still had this, like, small glimmer of just, like, uh, maybe, I, maybe I could still do it, you know? Because, you know, once you start back walking and then you start doing athletic things and now you're seeing your body back in that kind of form, I was like, okay, well, shoot, I'm, I'd be crazy, but like maybe I, you know, maybe I could still do it. So but, even after the injury, you said yeah. that's a wrap, but then you went back yeah. over for. I'd be like fifty percent of the day. Yeah, I'd yeah. be like, oh man, this might be all right. Then the other fifty, I'd be like, no, nah, it's a wrap. Like just you know, like yeah, because you don't know, right? Yeah, and because you don't want it to be over, so you don't want to say that, and you're conditioned all the time to be like, okay. I'm training, I'm training, I'm training. And saying it out loud brings anything, it makes it, it makes more, it more real. real. Which is why when you said, well, you know, friend, I'm retired. When you said it just minutes into our interview, right. I was like, oh, yeah, really ish. Like he's, he, okay, so he's at that point. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, but, so what was that moment? So the moment, I'll tell you, it's, it's kind of funny, actually. So, you know, I worked, I worked a lot here with um, architect sports. I mean, I had a bunch of, uh, injuries and I most of the time work with them on them and uh, the, the day there's there's like one day we started running on the treadmill <laughs> and they're like shooting the um, the uh, speed up at the, the incline up and uh, I just was like you know I, I ran like a couple of them or I might have finished the whole thing and afterwards I just looked at my PT I was like I don't want to do this no more, man. Just straight up. Like, no, like, sob story. I was just like, man, I'm good. <laughs> I, like, I had enough. Did you, wait, did you have tears? Did you have? Like, no, it was almost like, it was like a clarity yeah, moment. It was just like, because nobody really wants to run on the treadmill. Like, yeah. who really wants to do that? You do it because, especially as an athlete, because you know that this is pushing you and getting you in condition to where you're trying to be, right? It's all going to help your performance. So, you know, there is that level, okay, this is why you're doing it. But at the same time, you don't, it's not, it's not guaranteed. Like it's, it's a different situation I've ever been in. Like I always had a contract. I knew I was going to be able to get regardless of how much it was or where it was. I probably was going to be on somebody's team, right? I could add value to a team. I'm two years out now, you know, I'm 30, um, 31, whatever, whatever it was. Um, you know, stuff's not, stuff's not like it was, you know, like, and I, and even with that, you know, most younger me would have been like, 
all right, good. Like that now it's time, it's, it's time to, to get hungry and go get that. Mm-hmm. You know, at 30, I didn't have the same desire to go do it. Like I would have when I was younger, I just didn't have it. And, you know, not because, you know, I accomplished so much or made so much money. Um, but just, I just, it just wasn't there. Like the, I had gone through so many um, therapy sessions, rehab, just time. And the, the really, the thing that wears on you is that you have to do so much to prepare yourself to get on the court before you actually even play, right? So you're working so much on your body to just throw yourself out there without spending as much time you that you need on your game. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the product, even if I got myself back, the product wasn't going to be something that I was going to be satisfied with. Like, I'm a guy, we're going to, you're going to grind it out. Just like if I was out on the golf course, I wouldn't expect myself to play well if I didn't practice. Like I felt like, which I know I need. I know the you certain amount of knowledge though. Oh like yeah. You've always had, you had that long-term vision. Um, and probably that long-term vision was instilled for you mm-hmm. when you were a kid sure. from both of your parents. Sure. So your dad being an NBA player. And yeah. He's, he's uh, my dad's got a pretty amazing story for how he became a three-time NBA champion from where he grew up in Richmond, Virginia. But uh, if there's one thing my dad's ever taught me to do, it's how to work. Like he... Even at 63, like he's always got to be doing something. Like he's just like, it's just like, yo, man, like it's all right. You don't got to, you don't got to like break every leaf. Like you don't got to, the whole house doesn't have to be like, we don't have to always have a job to do. Right. But that's how he kind of operates. He's just, you know, so like when I was younger, like he's, he taught me how to work, especially when I really committed to basketball. He taught me like, okay, well, okay, what's your what's your plan here? He'd get the little month planner out. Why is that like a dad thing? Because love just, to draw it out and do demos and make you sit down through it. Yes, they. God, they drive me nuts. I don't know why. I'm thankful for it. Though, I am too. Because you know, we're gonna condition right. If that's running, we're gonna there's you know weightlifting, there's shooting and working out. There's playing, right? This is all basketball stuff. So, um, you know, if we said we want to do this however many times a week, okay, so we got our schedule. This is old school. How old are you at this point? When uh, this? 15, 16. Okay, so this is after you had decided basketball is my thing. Right. Cause I, you wasn't cause, doing this at seven years old. No, because I was, um, when I was about 10, 11 years old, I started really playing golf. And, um, really got good at that. So, like, by 14, I was a scratch golfer, right? So, playing junior tournaments. And so then I had to make that decision, which one did I want to do? And I picked basketball because, you know, it was my first love. I was, I knew I was an athletic kid, even at, four, even at 14, 15. Like, you know, I was dunking the basketball and stuff. So, it was kind of a no-brainer. And I said I could always play golf, at the point I'm at now, right when I'm done. Mm. 
What Gerald said about coming back from an injury time and time and time again and having to do so much just to get back on the court, not even to play or compete, but just even practice, it really resonated with me, especially as someone who went through four operations over the course of my tennis career, albeit a much less illustrious athletic career compared to Gerald. But the point is, is that a lot of these athletes, especially the ones that reach the elite or pro level, go through so much and put their minds and their bodies on the line all day, every day. And they have to do that to achieve the things that they do. And so we might begin to understand how injuries can take its toll on one's performance and even their motivation just to keep playing. And when something becomes more painful than it is fun or enjoyable, it's not always easy to keep going. And that's when athletes have to make a decision about what's right for themselves, what's right for their bodies, and what's right for their families. Really hope you enjoyed part one with Gerald. Stay tuned for part two next week. The next chapter with Prim Saripapad is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 